And now, The Mentors Radio, one of the most popular and unique shows on the air today. Here each week, remarkable CEOs and leaders, including host Tom Laurie and Dan Hesse, and their guests will mentor you, challenging your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their ethical leadership and advice, and for helping others succeed throughout their careers, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Learn more and check out the show notes at TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. And now, here's your mentor. Welcome. I'm Tom Laurie, and I'll be your host today. Thank you for joining us. Addiction has touched nearly all of us. Abuse of alcohol, abuse of tobacco, illicit drugs are costing our nation, exhausting, exacting more than $740 billion annually in costs related to crime, lost work productivity, and health care. U.S. deaths alone due to overdose now exceed 100,000 each year. These numbers do not capture the collateral damage that comes with addiction, damage to families, damage to communities, damage to careers. There is no, uh, there is an incredible amount of suffering, the heartbreak of families and friends, and for the medical staff and first responders and the clergy that are left behind to carry on after the destruction has taken its toll. It shows no signs of abating. Today, I am joined by Ed Kapetsky as our guest mentor. There is no one I know better to provide guidance on dealing with addiction, particularly within a family. He has been on the forefront of addiction battle for 17 years. He lost his 31-year-old son, Tim, to an overdose in 2017. Before he retired, he served as the chief information officer at Stanford Health's Lucille Packard Children's Hospital in Palo Alto. He is the founder and serves today as the co-chair of the Chime Opiate Task Force. He was awarded the John Gall CIO of the Year Award by Chime and HIMSS. Chime CEO Russell Branzelk has called Ed one of the most courageous people I know. So, Ed, thank you for joining us. This is such an important issue uh, affecting so many people over the holidays. I've even heard about other uh, friends of mine who are dealing with it. And I have somebody within our family that we're challenged with. Tell us what puts you on the front lines of the addiction crisis. Well, thank you, Tom. It's great to be back. Uh, We did one of these sessions uh, quite a few years ago, but uh, what brought me to this was our own experience. And uh, um, it's something uh, I want to share with others. Uh, I think when my son passed away, uh, I thought to myself, what can I do about this? What can, how can I help other people? And uh, I talked to the head of SAMHSA at the time, and uh, we were forming the opioid task force, and she said to me, be a culture champion and be a spokesperson for your experience and helping others. And, you know, uh, that's what I set out there to do. Um, In kind of the response to that, I felt like I had to do something good about this. Um, We certainly did everything we could for our son, and everything we knew at the time, and it was a lot evolving, all that, but we also learned a lot about our own dynamics in the family, and, and like you said, it's there's a lot of collateral damage, a collateral harm, so um, getting people to understand that and maybe see it correctly earlier uh, would help a lot, save a lot of lives. Now, just 
So the acronyms don't fool people. Tell us what H-I-M-S-S stands for. Okay, well, we're full of it in IT and healthcare, but Healthcare Information and Management Systems Society. And then CHIME is the uh, College of Healthcare Information Management Executives. And uh, those are two professional organizations that are really the leadership in IT and uh, change in uh, healthcare. And CHIME has gotten actively involved in opiates. I, I know you founded and co-chair a task force. Tell us about that and what is it that they're doing? Basically, um, and then I, as a founding member of CHIME and knowing a lot of people, um, when it happened with our family, uh, president of CHIME was at the service, as were a couple other uh, key people. And uh, I, I said, my God, I hope something can, good can come from this. And we came up with the idea within a week to launch this task force because it was the opioid epidemic had hit a peak at that time. And there was a lot of awareness that needed to happen. There were a lot of changes in the health system that needed to happen. We had to quit prescribing so much. So we started this opioid task force uh, consisting of IT leaders and uh, key vendors who are our foundation firms and partners, including our EMR vendors, uh, Electronic Medical Record, Epic and Cerner and uh, Meditech and others. And we said, we want to become an awareness hub of leading practices, leading change to help with the opioid crisis. And we worked within our resources to lobby for changes in our electronic medical records for uh, interoperability with prescription drug monitoring programs, um, getting the word out that medication-assisted treatment was mission critical for opiate addiction specifically. Uh, and just the whole field was evolving. And so we got together a group and it's it's uh, this is the sixth anniversary of it this month, uh, and we just launched our our new goals and our next two year roadmap to keep going. There's a lot to do yet. So as I understand it, the importance of Chime is the fact that you've got all of these CIOs from all these healthcare systems, and what people may not connect the dots to is you have access to all the data. The, all of the data on prescriptions and what's going on within a healthcare system that you can then look at, monitor, mine, and use in a very productive way. I, yeah, is, that, yep. it's really what's so key to what you're doing. Well, absolutely, and you know, Tom, you've started businesses. They always tell you start with your strong with your strong suit. Don't try to learn something new. And this was playing the strong suit. You're right. We had. Almost every health system in the country is a member in CHIME and HIMSS. And, uh, you know, we also have physicians, clinicians, nurse leaders, and others in there. So it, it was a really big play uh, to get out, to get this awareness out there and uh, to stimulate focus on we need to change. As you know, changing uh, uh, an engine is kind of hard mid-flight. And uh, so that it really was a great way to, to bring together people around the country. 
And you're also a member of the Santa Clara County uh, Opiate Overdose Prevention Program. And I bring that up because uh, from what I understand, in 2021, 50% of the illicit drugs tested in Silicon Valley uh, in Santa Clara County were laced with fentanyl. And today that's close to 90%. Yeah, I, that's I, pretty scary stuff. Absolutely. I mean, I got involved through our clinician connections and they knew I was working in this. And um, I was just, I went, how can I help? Right. Uh, it's just amazing what you find when you're out there. And this was like, this was an emerging trend that was hitting the country. And it really, I think my son's mortality was a, early fentanyl thing uh but it really hit started hitting peak through two to three years ago and um santa clara county i had learned through joining the task force that they were proactive in testing street drugs that they would find on patients or that would they'd turn in and they were picking this up early and in um santa clara county of course is silicon valley and uh what was really strange to them was you talk about indiscriminatory, the worst communities getting impacted were the wealthy communities. And they were street drugs that kids were using and also got increased during COVID because people were using things more to get by, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the fact that they discovered this huge thing uh, regarding street drugs because of adolescent overdoses uh, led them to be very proactive in going to the schools, educating the parents, educating teachers, getting um, bringing Narcan, Naloxone out to help save overdose victims. Uh, well, very we're going right, to we'll come back and talk some more about that. <laughs> That's all right. We're going to have a short break. We're with Stanford Health's recently retired CIO, Ed Kapetsky. Ed's been on the front lines of opiate crisis for 17 years. This is Tom Lohr. You're listening to The Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Loy. I am with former Stanford Health Executive Ed Kapetsky, who lost his son to an opiate overdose and is now focused on mentoring families whose lives have been turned upside down with drug addiction. Two questions from the last uh, segment I, I have as follow-up question. It's not just opiates now, is it? It's growing in other areas. I mean, opiates has kind of been a dominant uh, story, but it's it's moving in other directions, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the mortality is still growing on the opiate front, which is our biggest concern with, you know, fentanyl, everything else. But uh, more and more uh, meth addiction we're picking up, uh, more and more mixture of stuff. There's now um, another trend emerging on the East Coast. We're picking up uh, uh, xylazine being in you know, laced into street drugs, which is even... Another problem because uh, the naloxone does not work when you're trying to recover an opioid overdose doesn't work on it if it's uh, xylazine. So yeah, just more and more problems out there and exposure to people who may not know what they're buying. And, and, nalo and naloxone, naloxone, and naloxone. Excuse me, 
is where they give the shot. Uh, the police carry that, right? Yeah, it's a, it's an inhalant. Or inhaling. And you recover the patient by um, getting injecting it into their nasal passage and stuff like that. And I haven't physically done it. But we're finding with fentanyl, you need it to do it more than once or twice, you know. Uh, but if, if xylazine is now mixed in, they can't recover those patients. And where does xylazine come from? We're not, I'm not sure, but it's uh, emerging. I think it's a horse tranquilizer or one of these things. I, I'm not an expert on it, but that's the latest thing. I was just on another one of these calls where we're concerned about detecting it early coming to the West Coast. We're going to start looking for it in the uh, in, in the lab tests and in so, patients. So. When you and I did our uh, call last week to prepare, uh, we had a brief discussion, and I think it it does merit at least uh, a little discussion. Is somebody trying to kill the youth of America? I don't want to get into politics, but I mean, the, the, we know these things are dangerous. They're getting into our supply chains, and there is it's there's no medical reason for them other than to destroy somebody. You know, in my worst stage, state of thinking, I do think that, you know, like, why would you purposely attempt to get people addicted? Okay, you get that for the money stream, right? But to put them at risk of this constant overdose and the drain on the health system, the drain on families, on what's, you know, I don't know. Uh, it just, there's not a lot of rationality here to me. Tom, and, and essentially what they're doing is they're killing their customer. Well, yeah, or they're getting a lot of people addicted. And, you know, I, I don't get it. Um, I don't get it at all. And whether it's cheaper, but why would you be, um, why would you not be upfront about what you're selling? You know, um, I don't get that. Other than you start trying to believe somebody's trying to really harm our society. This is Tom Lohr. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show with Ed Kapetsky, who many call one of the most courageous people I know. So one of the things we really wanted to get to in this show is that let's assume I've got a family. I'm dealing with this for the first time with one of my children. As you look back, were there lessons you learned or things you said, I wish I had done as a parent, as a, yeah. as you had a family member? What? Let's talk about that. Man, I have really strong views on that. And the first thing I thought of after all of our 10-year experience with Tim, you know, in five, four of it was really great when he was at the end, when he was in full recovery. But it's what I didn't know and what I was told by people who also didn't know. And so you you go into this spin of what's right. So my advice is get an independent expert advisor. Get somebody who knows the disease, get somebody who knows kids, because this a lot of this starts in high school. And we didn't see the patterns, uh, the bad grades, the too many people, friends. I mean, there were, there were indicators that I would now question, right, that we overlooked. 
But when his problem really came out in college, and when he came for help, when it when addiction took hold, not just substance use disorder, but addiction, that was a whole nother game. Uh, now you are into a chronic disease. Now you are into one we don't have no cures for. Um, now you're into one where you're you're moving to crime, you're moving to homelessness. We did not have the tools. So an independent expert advisor to uh, advise you on how to interpret what's going on and you know how to get help. I mean, at, you know, halfway through, we got some of the best help. It was awesome. And but it required, you know, institutional care. It required years of out, outpatient therapy and uh, medication treatment. It required moving him out of his uh, community or he wouldn't have survived when it got so bad. So I really talked to other people like me who've been through it, but also people that are expert in addiction and treatment and recovery. Uh, you know, it's just there's so much stigma out there, Tom, about what it is and in what people want to believe it is, like it's choice. When it gets to an addiction level, choice is gone. It's you don't choose to be a diabetic. You don't choose to be a cancer patient, and nobody chooses to have addiction. And and to see that earlier and, and try to divert that is what I would say to families. If oh, you see a problem, dig in. Okay, when, I, when we come back, we're going to talk uh, more about this, and we'll be right back after a short break. We're with Stanford Health's recently retired CIO, Ed Kapetsky. Ed has been on the forefront of, of the opioid crisis for 17 years. You can listen to the show and past shows on all popular podcast platforms or by going to our website, thementorsradio.com. Subscribe while you're there so you don't miss any future shows. That's thementorsradio.com. This is Tom Borey, and this is The Mentors Radio. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Loy. I am with former Stanford health executive Ed Kapetsky, who lost his son to an opiate overdose and is now focused on mentoring families whose lives have been turned upside down with drug addiction. So you talked about patterns, you talked about grades, lots of friends. What other things should people be aware of or keep, what other signs that you've learned that uh, are signals? You know, if I, if I look back on our experience with our son in high school, when, uh, when it was visible, right? When you go to college, it's not so much. And, but it was um, a lot of late night things into the middle of the nights. Um, checking out a lot, being in his room alone. Um, maybe when we had people over the house not wanting to socialize. Um, I think people that are using are, you know, they're, they don't want to be exposed. And if they're struggling with something and using, they're hiding something. They're, they're struggling. They're not opening up. And, um, you know, physical signs were clearly eating different habits, uh, not eating meals, you know, different, just different schedules, right? And um, odd things like, why would you run out early in the morning like that or whatever? And um, or just 
you know, I mean, a lot of kids use alcohol and they're hung over a lot. Are, are you are these periodic or are you seeing binge drinking problems? Or is it often? Uh, that's often a sign of uh, someone headed toward alcohol abuse heavy is binge drinking. But I mean, those are the things you look back. I mean, it's quite a while now. But uh, when it got to college, Tom, one of the things we should have seen was the miles on the car and the cash, the expenses kept going up. And, you know, we had two children and some of it was unexplainable in the end and we weren't really aware of it. So I would say, you know, um, there's no reason for somebody to be putting 20,000 miles on a car when you're you're in the community where you're going to college, right? <laughs> and, uh, and you know what I learned now is what we didn't know, right? He was getting his meds in a city about 30 miles away and 30, 40 miles, and there was a lot of community, but I hadn't put the two and two together. So just I mean, I don't I'm not suspicious. I just say there were there were odd things there, and especially the cash flow. When when the cash started having problems, that's a that's a key indicator. Can't stay on a budget. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We're with Ed Kapetsky, to whom many call one of the most courageous people I know. You mentioned in the last segment about finding, or maybe early this segment, an objective third party. How do you go about doing that? And how would you vet them? I would say ask any experts. There are groups around um, for parents um, and survivors of people with addiction. Um, we were... Uh, I would look for experts. Um, you know, there's a couple of great now capabilities I want to point you to, um, but um, that's really for family advice going through the process. I would reach out to your clinician, um, you know, in your healthcare. If I hope if you have a doctor or any psychiatrist in the adolescent care, um, I. I um, I would look online. I mean, I think there's groups, maybe the counties have it as well on substance abuse and, and uh, advisors for that. But, um, you know, I found it through the University of Wisconsin. My major professor was working in it. And, um, wow, we were connected immediately when we needed to. But I think you're right on the local level. There's support groups now. I know Santa Clara County has started family support groups for uh, uh, people with substance use disorder or overdose patients or unfortunate mortality. So I look locally, perhaps through the church, if you're a member of that, but I would watch out for, you know, the wrong advice, right? Because some people have a view that this is bad choice or behavioral or a period they're going to go through or whatever. But um that's a hard one to answer because I, I I do give that advice and, and people come back to me and say, our health system is so difficult to find that out in. And right. I think that's something we got to develop more of. So my father was an alcoholic. My father was a dry alcoholic. And he fell off the wagon late in life for just a couple of years. But as a result, I became very familiar with AA 
And I went through three years of ACOA, which was very popular a few years ago, and that's adult children of alcoholics. And I found that sitting in a room with a bunch of people who had a similar experiences were different, but a similar situation where they were dealing with uh, alcoholism with one of the parents, I found it incredibly helpful and insightful. So, you know, my tendency would be uh, if I were dealing with this, because uh, it's a problem I'd never dealt with, is finding this group of people that are further down the path. Is there anything like I know? As do they, I know you have a uh, drugs anonymous and things like that. But what I'm just trying to help people in the audience get very, very targeted on getting some outside help and uh, advice from people who have been there and can call the BS when they see the BS. Yeah, it's it's you know, you and I were talking about a sponsor for someone in recovery, right? It's very much like that. It's it's somebody who's been through it or has gone, you know, through it, and other family members are your spot on. People like you, social communities. I'm trying to think of the name of it. There was a group we joined that was specifically for us, right? But the problem was for us, we didn't stay in it because it was all spouses. It was all spouses of alcoholics, right. as opposed not, to not parents, as right. opposed to parents with children. And so I, I think look for that, and I, it's out there in the community. I'm sure that you can find it. And uh, I wish I would have anticipated that. I would have done a little research before we got on, uh, but I'm sure you can find that. Well, if you find a link, we can post it to the show notes after the yeah. show airs. So we can do that. Um, yeah. So the, and you also mentioned you'd wish you had done more for your daughter. Yeah. Let, let's go to the family and the impact. And and that's part of our mission here. My mission. Um, there's no question we need to help the patients in a different way, in a better way and in a, in a more caring way, but the caregivers need help because we become the care, you know, outside of their institutionalization, if there are people are ever in the hospital or rehab, family members and like, you know, your siblings or you're, you're married or you have a significant other, they become the care system, but they don't know anything. And so hold that thought, hold that thought. We're going to cut to break and we'll come back and we're going to okay. pick it up right after break. Very good. So Thank you. We're, we're, be, uh, we're with uh, Stanford Health's recently retired CIO, Ed Kapetsky. He has been on the forefront of the opioid crisis for 17 years. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie. I am with former Stanford Health Executive Ed Kapetsky, who lost his son to the opiate overdose and is now focused on mentoring families whose lives have been turned upside down with drug addiction. If you're listening to this show on your favorite podcast platform, please scroll down and give us a five-star review. Those seeking wisdom on life and career will appreciate it. So let's go back to, we were talking about your daughter and the family. Continue that thought. 
Well, I think you said it as we started this. Addiction affects everybody in the family and everybody close by. And, um, you know, I think what we found in launching the opioid task force, what I experienced in my own life, was there's a lot of value in helping educate the family about the disease and about resources available to them and options for the patient. Um, you know, um, in the case of our daughter, right, she was a very close to our son. And, you know, she was the first person he told that she had a, he had a problem. And she didn't know how to manage that. I mean, and she clearly advised him to come to us. But throughout his 10-year cycle of addiction and recovery and relapse, um, you know, we got no care. We got no advice. We, me and, the, and, and she in particular, um, when we took over his care, even through his 20s, uh, we, we would put requirements out that we were in counseling with his, him and his counselor once a month. So we would be current with him. But Angie was never given that option to do that. So I'd say there's a lot of value in supporting knowledge expansion, stigma change, um, maybe even somebody to talk to when you got a question. If I'm his sister, what should I do? Do I have somebody to talk to? Um, we found a lot of new advances in that, Tom, in triaging now people in emergency rooms um, and supporting not just the patient, but the family members so that they can help this patient when they leave the emergency room after their whatever they're there for um make right decisions and think about options and be um you know think about solutions um and know what they are out there so uh, there's a lot of new organizations i can mention a couple that are totally devoted to this and uh out there well, I mention everybody them. mention them good so one of them that i was really so I heard this through a senator in California. He said, it's, we now have to have the drug talk. And what is the drug talk? And it's specifically what you need to be talking to about your child, with your children, with your adolescents these days, specifically because of the fentanyl crisis and the stuff we mentioned with the, with the uh, illicit street drugs. Um, there's if you if you just Google these, you'll find two big ones. It's called the New Drug Talk. Uh, it was it was a foundation named the Song for Charlie, another family who lost their son, and it's specifically focused on kids and fake pills and fentanyl waste and stuff like that. Um, there's another one. There's a lot of research on coming out of the University of Washington. And it's also called Drug Talk, and it, it's a real educational thing. It talks about teens and opioid use disorder, um, addiction, drugs, and alcohol, everything. And so both of those are very good resources for family members or partners of patients with addiction that I would point to. And you're involved with the University of Wisconsin. And right. I believe there's a grant. Tell us a little bit about that grant. Yeah, I, um, you know, I was, I'm a health systems engineer, which a graduate from Wisconsin. And in the program, one of 
the, the founder of it actually and then david gustafson is still the head of the center for health systems research there um, putting together a great big grant right now on um, and testing it in the medicaid population but basically developing new tools and systems to support family members and peers and siblings and partners very much like what we were just talking about and prove it so that it's reimbursable because i really do believe this will drive better outcomes it will reduce morbidity and mortality and um really for the patient that's the best thing but um that's the intent of the grant and and my wife and i are are both serving as advisors on that grant and you pointed out a paradox in our healthcare system where we don't pay for therapy but we pay for meds so there is a uh uh, a, a drive, let's say, to solve the problem so they don't see the patient again by giving them meds. And, and there's been some changes on uh, meds, no longer 90 days. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, in the last five years, we've done a phenomenal job starting to ration down the prescription side of the opiates. And, you know, a lot of hospitals have adopted uh, opioid stewardship committees, They've put part of what we did with Chime was put stuff into the EMR to prompt physicians. Um, you shouldn't be sending this many home. Have you checked the state PDMP, et cetera? So prescription opiates have come down. The problem is um, mortality's gone up, right? And that's because people have. Um, People with legitimate pain management and other mental health issues have gone to the street. And in addition, there's been this lacing of street drugs with fentanyl that has that has jacked up the mortality. But we're doing a better job, but we just, it's still very difficult. Um, you know, um, is seven days the right number? Is three days the wrong number? You know, we used to give 30 days without a blink. We don't do that anymore because we found a lot of, nobody needed that long and they were accumulating. So that's where we've made progress, Tom, on what we can control. The consequence though, is that people who had opiate use disorder then found other means to get things. And uh, that's the part that's problematic. And you mentioned uh, in a call earlier that you and I had also that there are underlying conditions that lead to addiction or uh, personality issues. Could you talk a little bit about those, uh, what you've learned? Uh, I think there were three different areas that people seem more prone to addiction. Well, there's high correlation with, um, I think, two or three groups. Um, one is, one group are patients who have uh, a mental health diagnosis, a dual diagnosis, they call it, or I think there may be a new term for it, but someone who has bipolar, ADHD, schizophrenia, anxiety disorders are um, difficult patients to get meds right on. And they tend to uh, try other substances and, 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 there's hey listen there's addiction to both 
prescribed meds as well as street meds, right? Addiction crosses both sides of that whole thing. So it's very hard when you talk to a pain management expert, what am I dealing with, the pain or the addiction? And uh, that's a real issue. So, um, you know, that's out well, there. We're going to cut to a break and we're going to come back and continue that discussion. We're right back. We're with Stanford Health's recently retired CIO, Ed Kapetsky, who's been on the front lines of opiate crisis for 17 years. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with Ed Kapetsky, who lost his 31-year-old son to an opiate overdose. So tell us, we're talking about underlying personality issues or diseases and things that make one, there's high correlation to addiction. And we already covered one, which were the yeah, things the, we the talked first about. one we mentioned was a dual diagnosis or another mental health issue. The second group are patients who have experienced trauma in their life whether that was physical, emotional, social, um, uh, physical, you know, maybe they've, uh, they were in a car wreck or maybe they were abused as a, as a child, right? The third group that has a high correlation with addiction are people who, um, have, I have, have sexual orientation, identity crisis. Um, they're gay. Uh, that's been stigmatized for how long they're they're wondering where they are um uh, people who struggle with sexual orientation are um and identity are are have a high rate of uh addiction and substance use disorder so those are three groups that um i mean that's not all of the population obviously right but there's a high correlation in in those groups and when you talk about the uh, number two, the uh, suffering some kind of uh, injury or whatever, uh, I think of divorce, which is a major uh, disruptor in a family. And I'm not, I'm one of the Judith Wallerstein fans who did a lot of work on divorce. And there's no such thing as a good divorce, no matter what anyone tells you, the kids really suffer. And I've seen situations where the kids get lost and find other things. So, I don't want to leave that on the, I want to make sure that gets on the table because that's a major driver in our society as well is the disruption of the family. So yeah, we don't have a lot of, go ahead. Good time. No, spot on. Go ahead. So we don't have a lot of time. What we got a few minutes left. I'll let you wrap it up with other things you've learned that you wish you had known that you'd like to share with my audience on things that can help them if they're dealing with personal addiction or even family addiction? Well, I, I think I think the hardest part for us was we became kind of addicted. We, we got into survival mode so long that we weren't making rational decisions, right? We thought we had this constant hope that this was the last one, right? And so those are the hard ones to get through where you really – you need some outside help. You need some advice. Um, if you're getting desperate and, and things are desperate, that's a key indicator things are wrong. And um, I think I would have reached out, you know, maybe more on the professional side, like I'm advising now, right? I, 
I think I would have gone there earlier, which um, we could have, and, and maybe we're way more advanced now as a society 15 years later. So on the other hand, I hear the biggest problem we have is we still don't have anywhere for these patients to go, right? So the reality of the situation right now is, um, you know, beds are full. Uh, there aren't enough psychiatrists. There aren't enough addictionologists. Um, that's a big problem. So getting connected, staying in a treatment program is key. Um, you know, the thing now is about retention. There's two things I think I'd alert people to. Retaining people in recovery if you get there. But also, before you get there, if they're using, learning about harm reduction techniques, learning about what's safe, um, you know, using with some supervision. So if you have an overdose, you have somebody there to save you. I mean, these are all the things you need to learn now, and especially if the patient's living with you, right? If you're, I mean, you can't control all that when if they're gone, but if they're in your home, there, there's a lot you can do, I think. Hey, really, thank you for your time today. Uh, that's that's it for this episode. Our guest mentor has been former Stanford Health Executive Ed Kapetsky, who lost his son to an opiate overdose and is now focused on mentoring families whose lives have been turned upside down. We'll put some links. Any other links you have, Ed, give us. We'll post them on our show notes. Thank you very much for joining us. If you missed any of the show, you'll find a link to the show on our website, thementorsradio.com. Join us next week at the same time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be all you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.